Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This is episode number 40 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here on today's program. And it's crazy, 40 episodes here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. My name is Jason Romano, and first off, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who has listened to this podcast, downloaded it, told friends about it, shared a note or tweeted at me or emailed me, whatever it was. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of this journey. We've reached 40 episodes now, and it's been an awesome. We've seen, gosh, over 80,000 almost downloads of this podcast and so many people listening on so many different areas and platforms and, and just such a cool thing to watch God work through this podcast and sharing the stories of faith in Jesus Christ and sports coming together. So thank you very much for the support and excited to see the future of this podcast, where it goes. Lots of exciting things we're thinking about. So just want to thank you again for being a part of today's show. At the end of this episode, we are going to announce the winners of the Matthew West CD, All In, and the Matthew West book, Hello, My Name Is. Now, Matthew West was our guest on episode number 38 of the podcast, and we asked people to send in reviews and share them on iTunes. Let us know that you're thinking of us, that you're watching, I should say listening to the show, and uh, that you heard Matthew West. And if you were interested in, in winning a copy of his CD and his book, you were to leave a review on iTunes. And many of you did, and we thank you for doing that. And we're going to announce our winners at the back end of this interview of this podcast, episode number 40. So stay tuned at the end to find out if you won a copy of Matthew West's new book and his new CD. Okay, today's guest, John O'Leary. Now, John O'Leary and I met at ESPN during my time when I worked there back in 2015. He came to ESPN not looking to do an interview, not looking to be a guest on, on, on a show or anything like that. John came to ESPN to tell me his story. Many people don't just come to ESPN to tell me their story. They want to be on shows. They want to be on all of our, our different uh, platforms that ESPN had. But no, not, not John O'Leary. He simply wanted to tell me about his new book and about his story. And I am so happy and so grateful and thankful to be able to now tell this story through the new lens of Sports Spectrum's podcast to you. John is an author. He's a speaker. His new book is called On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. We'll talk a lot about that book during the interview. But John was also simply a curious nine-year-old boy who in 1987 played with fire and gasoline and after a massive explosion hit, was burned on 100% of his body. He was given a 1% chance to live. I'm not going to give away the rest of this story. I'll simply say, listen, because his story is inspirational and his faith is strong. And I think you guys will really enjoy hearing John O'Leary talk about why he is on fire for life. So this is episode number 40 of the podcast. Here he is, our guest today, John O'Leary. John O'Leary, welcome to the show, and I, I want to get right to your story because I remember that day back in late 2015 <laughs> when you came to ESPN and we sat and you just shared with me your incredible testimony and story of survival. So I really just want to start 
before we get into that story, because there's so much there, with a little background before we get to the incident in 1987. Tell us about growing up, John, and being a kid from the Midwest and what life was like for you prior to that, that moment in 87. Awesome, Jason. First things first, man. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I am a fan of it, and I'm an honored guest today. Uh, like you mentioned, I'm a, a St. Louis, Missouri kid. What life was for me was uh, I'm one of six, uh, one brother, four sisters, two golden retrievers, an acre of land, great community, <laughs> baseball every evening until the bell rang, which means go home. Mom's got dinner ready. Yep. Uh, my dad worked. My mother was able to stay at home. Church on Sundays, blueberry pancakes afterwards, and fried chicken Sunday nights with grandma and grandpa. That's a good life. Man, it was a <laughs> great life. I, I can't believe it was my life. It was really fantastic and and probably not even known at that point how great it actually was. But looking back on it, what a blast. Awesome. I love that. Well, then 1987 happens. And then that's you know why we're here. That's That's how a book comes about. That's how speaking engagements come about. That's why you're a number one best-selling author and speaker. But I want the, I want our listeners, many of you, many of our listeners may not know your story. So let's, let's go to 1987, the year 1987, by the way, a great year to be in St. Louis Cardinals fan. They're nationally <laughs> champions. You're in the prime of the mid eighties and what the Cardinals yes. are accomplishing. And you're this curious nine-year-old boy. And maybe every kid at nine years old is that way. And, and your life changes forever. Take us back. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think all of us ultimately become the sum of the folks we hang out with the most, yep. whether that we're 50 years old and we're hanging out with great guys or we're nine and we're hanging out with troublemakers, uh, normal troublemakers in my case. But these kids were playing with fire and gasoline and I looked up to them. I wanted to be more like them. So with my father gone on a Saturday morning at work, my mother out with a couple sisters, I walked into the garage, Jason, bent over a can of gasoline and the plan with the flame in my left hand was to see what might happen if I pour a little bit of gasoline on top of this little flame. Mm. Well, before the liquid came out, the fumes rushed out, grabbed this flame, pulled it back in, created a massive explosion, split the can in two, picked up this nine-year-old little guy, launches him 20 feet against the far side of the garage, changed my world. And one thing to acknowledge there is, it wasn't the liquid that burned me. You know, and I, I think yeah. in life, it's typically not the liquid that burns you. It's it's almost always the fumes. And that day, those darn fumes, man, it created that massive explosion that changed my world. So this explosion happens and you're nine years old. Take us just the next steps. What happens there? What happens What happens next? How How are you... How are you still alive, by the way, talking to us today? Like, just take us right. through the next steps there and what happened. Uh, you know, how am I still alive? Through grace. It threw a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things perfectly, in tune, on time, at the, at the, appropriate, uh, at the appropriate measure. But specifically, how am I still alive? I, I find myself on the far side of the garage, surrounded by flame, engulfed myself. I took off running for my life. You know, we're, we're all trained what to do when we're on fire. And right now, you're, all your listeners can yell back, stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. But the reality is when you find yourself on fire, almost always you do the opposite. You, you, you panic and you run. I think we train to our minds, but we live from our hearts. And I think our goal as leaders in life uh, is to connect the two, that the two become one. But I, I got scared. I ran back into those flames, back into my mom and dad's house, eventually found myself in the front hall, standing on top of their rug, begging for a hero, just screaming, God, you know, I, I need someone to come in and save my life. I can't do this. 
the flames are still leaping off my body, Jason. Mm-hmm. And then I see my brother, Jim, he was 17. He was probably the last person in the world that I thought would become my hero that day. He, he'd never done anything nice for me ever. He's my older brother. And yet this is his moment right? to change and to shine, to become a better version of himself. He, he raced past me first, picked up a little rug, ran back over to me and began beating down these flames. Bang, bang, swinging again and again and again. It took him two minutes, burned himself in the process, picked me up, carried me outside, jumped on top of me, put down the flames, saved my life, went back into the house, called 911. You asked, how am I still alive? Speaking to you on the phone today, there's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of reasons. But without Jim, nothing else is possible. There's there's no way I make it to the next moment. You describe this so so vividly. I wonder, are you describing it based upon what your parents or your brother told you? Or do you really remember every single detail of all this? Man, that is such a great question. But, you know, frequently in interviews, they race on to, uh, I understand you had a great announcer who stepped into your life. And, <laughs> which means, really, they're not really listening. They're just going through the bullets. So, man, I appreciate you just listening in your curiosity. The, the memories that I share are always all mine. My my parents have a little bit of a different view on the way things happen. My brother's got a little bit of a different view on the way things happen. But the way I share the story is, for me, almost like a photographic memory of what happened that day. You, remember, Jason, there, there are moments in your life <laughs> where you forget entire years of what happened. But then an, an experience will happen, whether it's a big birthday party or something traumatic as a child, whatever it is. And you remember every detail down to sights and smells and tastes and who was in the room with you. And for me, as a nine-year-old boy, January 17th, 1987, these memories aren't my brothers. They're not my sisters. They're not, they're not my parents. They're mine. <clears throat> and for a long time, they were memories that I wish I could um, get ri- get rid of. And now I look back at them as memories that I'm extraordinarily grateful for. They're, they're not bad memories. They're actually epically beautiful memories. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about, obviously, the fact that you're talking to me today, how, how you turn this amazing uh, tragedy, if you will, and it is amazing on so many levels, into uh, just an awesome testimony and an awesome book and just an opportunity for you to share and inspire with others. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to go back just for a minute to the moments after and you get to the hospital, obviously you're rushed <laughs> to a hospital, I would assume. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and the doctors are there. And I remember watching this. I remember even you telling me this, that you weren't supposed to even survive the night. It was a hundred percent. I don't even know how that's possible that you can survive <laughs> if it's 100% because there isn't any higher percentage you can go <laughs> right. than a hundred. And it's a hundred percent of your body that's burned. So what happens there? Well, it, it's, uh, it's a miracle. I mean, some people can say, well, on occasion, science can do wonders. And indeed, I, I am the result of science doing wonders and people delivering exceptional care. And uh, God using um, the miraculous touch to bring this little boy back from the brink of death, period. So what happens there is I'm in the emergency room with burns on 100% of my body. 87% of those burns are third degree. This is a death sentence. I remember laying there in the ER, looking up at the bright light, and I had one very clear thought. And as a nine-year-old boy, my thought was, Jason, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, my dad is going to freaking kill me when he finds out, man. <laughs> right, He's that's your first thought. He's going to freaking lose it when he finds out I blew up his house. Yeah. You know, my, my, my thought as a child was not about, you know, my hands or my body or returning to school or the epic journey in front of us. 
I was thinking only about my father's wrath, period. I knew this guy. I hear his voice down the hall yelling at some poor nurse, where is my boy, John? And this nurse does me no favor. She brings my dad back into this room. He pulls back the curtains. This guy walks in, points down. And then he says to me, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Which were words he always used when he was mad. Look at me when I'm talking to you. So I look up at my dad and then he says, I have never been so proud of anybody in my entire life. And my little buddy, you look at me when I'm talking to you. Right. I'm just proud to be your dad. And then he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. It is a nine-year-old boy receiving this kind of love. I remember closing my eyes tight and thinking, oh, my gosh. N- nobody told my dad what happened. You know, he, he doesn't know that I blew up the house. Maybe I can get away with this thing. <laughs> but I have a feeling, Jason, and I have a feeling you do too, that my dad knew. And yet he was changed by the situation. And, you know, I think he walked into that room with one emotion and then he realized what mattered and he shifted gears and he went into a completely different emotion, a completely different level of, of mindset and a completely different way of influencing those around him. So my, my dad shifted into faith and love. He changed and, and I caught, I followed. It's just amazing to think of you. I'm trying to put myself back into my nine-year-old self and or even just envisioning you at nine years old laying in a hospital bed with you know who knows how long if at all your chance to survive and your burn and you're probably you know i would imagine you're you're not just laying in a normal hospital bed you're probably being cared for in such a, a, a you know a, a way that is so delicate and fragile you know one movement here one movement there whatever and your first thing that you remember is your dad just telling you he loves you versus Oh my gosh, am I going to die? Oh my totally. gosh, what's happening? Whatever. And that's probably emotions that you're going through as well, right? But the, the, the dad moment is what sticks out. It's un- You know I mean, what? I, just, it, it for sticks, most of us, sticks for me. It's just awesome. It is so awesome. And I think most of us can really only focus on one thing at a time. Contrary to popular belief of multitasking as we do our work and tweet and talk to our brides on the phone, the reality is <clears throat> you're doing one thing at a time. And my, my emotions were strictly focused on my father's wrath. The funny thing is, <clears throat> excuse me, when I speak, I, I, I draw that story out a little bit longer, of course. And uh, I, I usually say, and I'm thinking my dad is going to, and I'd be quiet. And I kind of hold the microphone toward the audience and everybody yells out, kill me. Yeah. Because it's, it's not my story. It's our story. I think all of us have messed up from time to time. All of us. And we all had the disciplinarian, maybe called dad or mom or pastor or rabbi or boss or spouse. But we, we all had that one person who set us straight, who, who, by the way, who loved us enough to set us straight. And, and mine was dad. He was a military guy. He was a business owner. He was somewhat type A, incredibly cool and loving and a great father. But I knew he would set me straight. I just wasn't ready for him to set me straight with love. We're talking to John O'Leary here, John on the the Sports Spectrum podcast. He is the author of the book On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And we're going to talk about his book in a minute. And basically, we're talking about a lot of what's in the book through his story, which is really cool here. And we're grateful, John, that you're on the podcast. Now, I want to ask you, okay, so this is a sports and faith podcast. So we've talked a little bit about the faith side. We're going to talk more about that in a moment, but the sports side. Somehow, some way, as you're in the hospital bed wondering how long you're going to live and your dad tells you he loves you and your family is there to support you, baseball enters the picture. (laughs) 
and I'll just leave it there and let you take it from there. Man, doesn't baseball always enter the picture? You know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Baseball shows back up, and I think that's awesome. Uh, so how does it enter the picture of a nine-year-old boy's life who's dying in the hospital? You know, I'm, um, I make it through that first night, shockingly. The, the, the math is this, Jason, just to kind of spell it out. You take the percentage of the body burned. So you do the math at home, 100. You add the age. And now you've got the likelihood of the patient dying. So I had 109% likelihood of dying that first night. But I, I pull through. I make it to that following day. Now it's Sunday afternoon, barely hanging on. I do remember this. I'm stretched out in a burn center, tied down. I can't move my arms or my legs. My lungs were burned in the garage, which means I can't breathe on my own. They cut a hole. They put it in my neck. It's for a trach. So now I can breathe, which is healthy, but I can't eat or drink or talk or Mm. talk. And the other additional challenge I had is that my eyes were swollen shut. So I'm in total darkness. I'm in total agony. I am dying. I'm aware of all of this. And I'm mad. I'm a victim. Uh, Things are happening to me at this point and occasionally coming out of the darkness back into the light with a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope, a little bit of love and courage with the ability to dream and hope and imagine and pray and listen. And as a kid who grew up uh, following baseball, man, uh, specifically the St. Louis Cardinals baseball, uh, I loved maybe nothing more in life than the sound of the voice of Jack Buck. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, some of the listeners may not know who that is. So take Joe Buck, who you all know, at about 40 years, you got Jack Buck. You got his dad. Yep. Jack Buck was my hero. I love Joe, but Jack's my hero. I never met the guy. I'm a normal nine-year-old Cardinal fan, which means I idolized him, but never met him. I'm laying in this hospital bed dying. My door opens up. Footsteps walk in. A chair comes across the floor. I hear a cough. Uh, And then the voice of Jack Buck whispers into my left ear, kid, wake up, wake up. You are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. Keep fighting. Wow. Then he stands. He walks out. He leaves me tied down in darkness by myself on fire for life. It was a simple nine-second visit or so that I think changed my life. <laughs> how, does John, how, does, how does Jack Buck even get there, John? How does that even come about? It's such a great question and a story. The dad was burned. Carol Bowers, my next-door neighbor, she wakes up when the explosion rattles my house. It, it blasted the windows out of her home. So this, this was <clears throat> powerful. She comes outside. She sees my O'Leary kids, all the family in the front yard. She sees me in the front yard bent over. She sees the flames coming out of the roof line. She knows it's bad, races back in, calls 911, and then she starts the phone chain. She calls a girlfriend whose name I don't know, who calls another friend whose name I don't know, who calls another girl named Colleen. Colleen's last name was Shandings. So for your older followers on the podcast, they may recognize the name Red Shandings, a mm-hmm. Hall of Fame second baseman and manager for the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Well, he gets a call from his daughter that a little boy was burned in St. Louis. Keep him in your thoughts and prayers, Dad. That evening, Red goes to a charity auction at the MACF, a country club downtown in St. Louis, gets seated by a white-haired guy named Jack Buck. And by pure chance, if you want to believe in that, I I believe in divine ordination. I believe it's orchestrated. Through this orchestration, Red Chandian sits next to Jack Buck and whispers to him, by the way, 
A little boy was burned in St. Louis today. Keep him in your thoughts and prayers, Jack. And the following day, in addition to keeping him in his thoughts and prayers, this incredible guy who is busy and has his own family to take care of leaves home, goes to the burn center, and visits a nine-year-old little boy, changes my world, is told that the little guy is going to die as he's going back to his car. Jack, there is no chance. And the following day, Jason, Jack Buck, Monday morning, comes back to the burn center and visits me a second time and continues to visit the five months that I'm in hospital. Wow. So as he's visiting you, and we're talking to John O'Leary here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, as he's visiting you, John, something happens here that, and I <laughs> I just remember smiling right now. I'm thinking about it smiling because when you told me the story when we first met a year and a half ago, it just, it just makes me grin from ear to ear. So I want you to share, not just that Jack Buck kind of gives you this encouragement to to, like you say, be on fire for life, but he actually changes your life in more ways than one. <laughs> so let's start with the baseball side of it first and how right. he changes your life that way. Well, and I'll, I'll back into it by saying it's important to recognize for all of us that not only was Jack changing a little boy's life named John, even if nothing ever came of his life, it doesn't really matter. He's, he's absolutely impacting one life and my family's. It's also true, though, that he would impact the life of every other patient that he walked by or chose to visit. Mm. And if you don't think that nurses in the hospital have a hard job, you've never been in a hospital and seen what they do. For the celebrity, we, only, we don't have a whole lot in St. Louis, contrary to popular belief. There's not a whole lot. <laughs> For this Hall of Fame announcer to come onto a burn center to scrub up and to walk in, dude, that lights up the floor. Yeah. So this man not only changed my world, I think he changed the, the world of the entire fourth floor during 1987. It's important that we recognize the ripple effect of our lives. In uh, late July of that summer, we have John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. He rolls me around on the AstroTurf like a proud papa at wow. the time of our lives, introduces me to all the Cardinal players. It was terrific. We go upstairs, we broadcast the Cardinal game together, and then he realizes that this little boy can't hold anything in his hands. You know, I so you had you lost all notice. your you had lost your fingers in the in the accident, correct? That's exactly right, Jason. I, I don't have any fingers on my hands. So he sees this little boy that has a big grin on his face because the Cardinals are winning, but I can't hold anything. Mm. The following day, this busy guy, it's not like he's just retired and has nothing going on. <laughs> yeah. He's he's got a cardinal game to call that afternoon. The following day. My mother goes out to the mailbox, opens up a package. It's a baseball signed by Ozzie Smith. Below the ball was a note from Jack Buck, that red kid. If you want a second baseball, all you have to do is send a thank you letter to the guy who sent the first. Wow. You know, he'd been with me the evening before. I can't hold a soda. He sure knows that I can't hold a pen. But I think Jack Buck also knew the power of motivation. Uh, so I, I, with the help of my therapist and my mother, we write this note to Ozzie, of all people, Mail it off. A couple days later, I get a second baseball with a second note that reads, kid, if you want a third baseball. So I do. A couple days later, I get a third baseball with a note that reads, kid, if you want a fourth baseball. So again, I do. Wow. And Jason, this goes on just to truncate the story a tiny bit. The entire summer of 1987, the entire fall, it's a busy fall, like you mentioned earlier for the Cardinals. We go through the playoffs. Jack sends a little guy named John O'Leary that no one will ever hear from in all likelihood ever again. It's not likely I'll be on your podcast. Trust me. He sends this little boy 60 baseballs. Six, Six zero. zero. Wow. Yes. Teaching a little guy how to write. 
which equips that little guy to go back to grade school and go back into life. Ch- change my world one more time. Unbelievable. And the fact that he would think to go that route and recognize that in just the time that you guys were spending together on the day that they had for you at the stadium to realize, you know, I got an idea to how, how to help <laughs> right. this guy get, get to be able to write. Like most people, including myself, don't even think that they can that they can fathom that idea and the great jack buck does that yes and he helps you write and in essence today the way the reason you're able to still write and i yes. watched you you have a book that you signed to me wonderfully that i have right in my hand right now i watched you write and i was i was in awe in the way that you were able to write because like you said you still don't have any fingers that all right. stems back <laughs> right. to jack buck yes and uh and to be um to kind of put it in context when I visit kids in hospital and I get, I get plenty of opportunity or I visit inmates in penitentiaries or I, I visit retirees and uh, elderly communities. When I go one time, I kind of high five myself on the way out. Like I, I did my good job, man. I, I went. Um, and yet Jack Buck not only went once and patted himself on the back like I do and I would imagine many of us do. He went a second time and a third time and 50th time. And then he starts sending me baseballs encouraging me to write he, like in other words he's never done yeah and as terrific as the story is there's two things that are important to identify one he never told anybody that he was doing this there, there are no tv cameras espn's not following this jason romano's not having them on the podcast saying so jack what did you do next man <laughs> right because no one knows he doesn't tell a soul there's there's power in that he has no idea i'll eventually become a speaker and an author and run my own little podcast he does this because he can, because he realizes the power of love to change lives. Like that's awesome. The second thing to identify with Jack Buck is O'Leary's not his only success story. As I have gone around the country and now around the world sharing the story, I cannot tell you how many people come up afterwards with their own Jack Buck story. And not only in St. Louis where I'm from and where he did most of his work, you know, this guy traveled with a team, which means he impacted with the team and every community that he went in in various airports. Um, I've had dozens of people outside of this community tell me their Jack Buck story. This guy was continually giving for his entire life because he could, because he realized the ability the celebrity has to either negatively or positively influence others. And Jack used that platform quietly to elevate those around him. Oh, it's, it's so good. I, I could listen to this all day, John. This is, I just love the story. I <laughs> love it. I, not just your story, obviously, because I, I love that you point it back to the impact that Jack has had on others too, and that it wasn't publicized and it wasn't, you know, this huge sort of spectacular production. It was this simple gesture of giving back and selflessness. And it's just mm-hmm. such a, it's such a great thing. Now, let me ask you about Jack a little bit. A few years later, he goes into the hall of fame and you're mentioned, I believe, in that Hall of Fame speech. And I know, he, I, in fact, I know you were mentioned in that Hall of Fame speech. Just take us through what happened there and what came out of that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we we were driving out to my grandma and grandpa's for fried chicken. The dogs were in the pack of the car. Two dogs, six kids, two parents, zero seatbelts, living the dream, man, cruising out to grandma and grandpa's. <laughs> Jack Buck is at in Cooperstown providing... You know, for those of you who don't know Jack Buck, just YouTube it later on. YouTube, Bass Jack Buck calls. You're going to hear a poet who spoke the words in real time. Like, not only did he have that wonderful radio voice that you would expect on radio, but he had this articulate, incredible style and way to deliver the, the, that, that, that voice. 
So he's delivering maybe the high watermark of his career, this Hall of Fame address in Cooperstown among peers with the thousands of folks tuning in. And as we're pulling into my grandma and grandpa's driveway, we hear Jack Buck say uh, the words, I've been lucky to help. And one of these kids back in St. Louis, John O'Leary, as gutsy a kid as I've ever met, I was fortunate to help. And that was it. It was a, a, a small mention, but the car, the room, the air change, and that little station wagon. Because, again, Jack Buck, this Hall of Famer, is turning the spotlight away from himself. On this the biggest how, this, stage he can be on, John. The Hall totally, of Fame. man. <laughs> it's, it's just how he went about his, his life. And we, we certainly, trust me, we're not expecting that. We listened not so we could hear how great we were. We were listening to, again, be reminded how great Jack was. And that's exactly what we heard as he made his speech about everybody other than himself. Wow. And then didn't he give you a special <laughs> Hall of Fame token from that day that only there's one of, I believe, and he sent yeah. it to you? Tell us about that real quick. Well, you know, I mean, he's he is in no small part the reason why I went back to grade school. I, I learned how to write through his efforts. So it means I went to high school because of him, and I ultimately went on to college because of him and graduated he came to the college graduation with a package and a note. The the note read, kid, uh, this means a lot to me. Hope it means a lot to you, too. Enjoy it's yours. And I open it up inside, and I'll just read the note. It says, kid, this is the baseball that I received when I went into the Hall of Fame. It's made of crystal. It's priceless. There's only one like it in the entire world, kid. Don't drop it. It's yours, Jack. Wow. So that this, this guy receives this heirloom gift this should be on joe buck's mantle and buck has told me that by the way but instead it went to a 22 year old college drunk kid that had no clue not only what to do in life or who he was but what to do with generosity like this and again for the final time buck stepped into my life and changed me you still have that ball i assume right Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, Jason, for the first six years after he gave it, it went in my sock drawer because I wasn't <laughs> sure what to do with a gift like this. I I had never told anybody how I was burned in college or beyond college. Hmm. And I knew if I had a Hall of Fame baseball hanging out in my living room or in my, my, my dorm dressing room that people would say, hey, where would you get the crystal ball, bro? And I, I didn't want to go down that path. So I never showed anybody, never told anybody I got it. And then uh, I began to embrace the scars at about age 28, which freed me finally to open up the sock drawer, grab out that baseball, put it up high, put a light on it uh, and shine that reflection. Not, not, not to show people how great I am, because that's a pretty boring tale, uh, <laughs> but to remind people first how great Jack was and ultimately how great we are. Like when, when you decide to make your life about something bigger than you, Man, that that that's cool. That's worthy. I know we've been spending a lot of time highlighting Jack Buck, but at the core of my story, um, it's about highlighting the lives of those ordinary people. You know, most heroes don't wear capes. Jack Buck wore a cape, but most heroes don't wear capes. It's mm -hmm. ordinary people doing ordinary things with extraordinary love. And well, that, that's the story of Jack Buck, but it's a story of each of us who do our jobs to the highest level of our abilities. Such a great message. John O'Leary joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. A couple more questions with John. And John, you mentioned that, and that's what you're doing now. So at 28 years old, you decide to share your story. 
Uh, I don't know if it was on a small level or, or a big level, but at some point you use the, the cliche that's used a lot, especially in Christian circles and church circles of turning your mess into your message. And, but I love that cliche. It is a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason because it's true and right. you, you've done that. So now you're a speaker, you're sharing your testimony with anyone that will listen. And a lot of people are listening, which I love, and that's great. But when did you first realize at 28 that it was time <laughs> to share and that you could help people with your story, that you could make an impact? You know, there's a, a passage that probably all of your listeners know. It's about how God works through all things for his perfect purposes, all yes. things. And it's that is, you talk about cliche, man, that is about as cliche as I think it gets, unless you actually believe those words to be true. And uh, I've come to the point in my life where I do believe those words are true. All, all words within scripture are, but those in particular sing off the page. My dad got Parkinson's disease, which means he lost his business. He lost his job. He lost his income. He came home. He got bored. And with the help of his wife, my mom, they wrote a little book called Overwhelming Odds, and they printed 100 copies for their church. Hmm. You know, what, what can go bad? 100 copies. I figured no one would still hear about the story. Like, it's just going to kind of stay in the uh, their own little community. So I was okay with him doing that. Well, then another 100 copies sold and then a few more. And then I got a call from a Girl Scout in third grade asking me, this 28-year-old punk that had still not fully embraced his story, if I would come and share for the entire troop. In, in life, whether it's the Romano podcast or whatever else it might be, my answer is yes, man. I, I try to be as open to living yes as I possibly can. Yes, I, I will go. Amen. And so this kid, age 28, who had never shared his story, uh, not only w not with the reflection in the mirror, I'd never shared it there. I'd never shared it with anybody. Hmm. And I'm not a public speaker. I go and I share this story with three Girl Scouts. The first time, I do a pathetically lousy job, but, but it's it's enough, apparently. And from that, one of the girls' father, who is a Rotarian, invites me into his Rotary Club. And then from that, one of the guys not only was a Rotarian, he was a Qantas member. And then from Qantas, one of the guys ran a small business here in St. Louis. And it went on, and it went on, and it went on. And in the last 12 years, I've spoken 1,600 times, wow. 49 states. Um, I'm looking at you, Alaska. <laughs> 15 countries have authored now a book myself called on fire it's been translated into 15 languages it's a number one national bestseller it, it apparently is influencing lives beyond the first 100 copies that my mom and dad wrote for their church so to, to bring this all full circle back to romans 28 uh my dad's parkinson's disease led to something pretty terrible he lost his job he lost his status he lost his wealth and he gained his story he gained renewal again on what mattered. He authored that little book, 123 pages, soft-covered book, and changed one life and then changed another. And now today, Jason, you and I are on this podcast because of dad's Parkinson's disease. Wow. You, you, you never know, man. You just don't. And you sometimes, know. you know, that fear, you mentioned the fear of speaking and even telling your story. Fear can either grip us. And I just shared a, you know, a sermon at my church a couple of days ago on fear. Fear can either grip us or it can motivate us and really mm -hmm. turn us into, uh, you know, turning towards the Lord and turning towards being able to share our story and embrace that fear. And for you, and, and you're certainly your family too, but for you, that's what you did. That's what you've done. Right. And, you know, I, I don't like living in fear. I, I think when people hear me speak, they probably think I, I, I don't ever live in fear, but to your point, fear is required, man. Sometimes that's the spark that gets us to move. Sure. 
it, it's, it's scripturally sound to occasionally be moved by fear. What is not sound is to live in fear. And I would suggest to your listeners and to you and me as we're having this conversation that the majority of us live in fear because we're watching the news. Oh, man, it's scary what's happening in Spain and Charlottesville and around our neighborhood. There's shootings and fires and there's racism and the unemployment. There's North Korea. There's this tension with Russia. Man, turn off the news. Just turn it off for a while. See life again with your own heart, through your own lens, through your own eyes, through a, a sense of faith, and be reminded again that we aren't in control of the stuff, that God's in control and the best is yet to come. So I, I, I am, uh, in some regards, pretty ignorant geopolitically, but I'm also not stuck in a place of fear. I'm a very lit up, faithful guy because I'm not struggling with what the media is celebrating today. It's a great piece of advice. A couple more questions here with John O'Leary on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. John, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your book. You mentioned it. I mentioned it earlier. It's called On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. Just the top, just the just the title on fire is is perfect. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's perfect for everything that you've just shared, but uh, tell us about the book and, and why you decided to write it the way that you did. Well, I wrote it. A- Generally, because I eh, there's two reasons. One is I wrote it because it's a way for me to leave something behind in this world that I think can tell this story in a profoundly personal manner that can remind people of the possibility within each and every one of their breasts. Like they, regardless of what storm they're going through or have just come through or are entering into next, they have the opportunity to live a deeply meaningful, impactful life from the role as an, an announcer to a janitor, from an executive to a, a son, whatever the role, whatever the job title is, we can elevate those around us through our lives, which is important. We, we can be become the good that we seek to see around us in life. This is good news. So that's part of it, to give people... Uh, the steps to take to model this in their own lives, to wake up from accidental living so that they can live inspired. That's part of it. The other reason I gave it, and this is uh, something I very seldom share, but why not, Jason? You and I are buddies. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I, tomorrow's not promised to any of us, but in particular me. I, I'm I'm uh, likelihood later on of getting skin cancer. I live always with infections within my body. It's just part of the deal when you survive burns that bad you have some adverse reactions later on in life. And I I have this going on. I don't know if I'm going to be there tomorrow. And I have four kids that I want to be there for. I got a wife that I want to be there for. And if I'm not there physically, I wanted them to hear my heart. So I wrote each chapter for one person in particular, my mom and my dad, my wife and my four babies. So um, you'll read this, I think, thinking that it's only for Jason Romano. It's, it's, It's written for you. But the reality is chapter three is written for Jack, my little boy, Jack. And I wonder where he got that name. Mm-hmm. Chapter seven <laughs> is written for my dad. Chapter six is written for my wife. And on from there, Every, everybody's got their own little chapter. I wanted to have a love letter that outlived me. And so On Fire is a letter to my family. That's awesome. And it's not just a letter to your family. Like you said, it's 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 been a national best-selling book. It's been uh, you know a way to impact so many other people's lives, including my own. So we're grateful that you wrote it, John, and, uh, and thankful for that. Lastly, I... I before I ask my final question, which I ask to every guest on the podcast, you mentioned your health. I, I want to go, if you could just kind of give a, a snapshot, how are you, you know, health-wise in terms of everything that happened when you were nine? You mentioned the infections, uh, the possibility of skin cancer, but how are you like physically? How are you doing? Man, it depends on how you want me to really answer that. I, The way I see a life is, I, man, God worked through this thing. I cannot believe that I'm on your podcast today. Mm-hmm. I, I 
I cannot believe that a little video MLB did has 3 million views on it. I cannot believe that. I cannot believe our book is a number one national bestseller and translated into languages. I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm looking at one on my board right now. Zappolini. Apparently, this is Serbian, I believe. Dude, I go. cannot believe this is our story. This is our life. When you and I hang up at the end of this day, I get to go home to a bride, gorgeous inside and out. I get to love four little babies who are healthy. And at this point, they actually think their dad's cool. My mom and dad are still alive. I can't believe that dad's had Parkinson's disease for 26 years, but he's here. I'm grateful for that. I live in America. Man, I'm grateful for that. I've been able to travel all around the world. I'm grateful for that. So generally speaking, I'm the healthiest guy in the room. Awesome. This is good news. And if you go a layer deeper, you know, I have scars that cover my body from my neck to my toes. Um, I have some contractions. I have no fingers on my hands. And yet I'm able to type and to travel and to change diapers and to smile and to shave. My face was spared. So if you see me in an airport, you're going to see a, a very ordinary looking guy who uh, is on fire for life and grateful for it. And we are grateful that you've come on to this podcast. John, last question. We asked this to all of our guests here on the podcast. And for you, it might be a little different answer what, with what you've gone through. But I'm curious to ask you what the Lord has been teaching you uh, right now. What is God teaching you? <laughs> you know, I, I think in the race towards success, and by the way, a lot of podcasts leaders will tell you what they're going to ask you before you go on the show. Jason Romano gives you no information, man. So he, <laughs> he kind of leads you down the dark path. And it's the best kind of answers me. though. That's right. Have a little bit of faith. <laughs> and uh, it was an honor to do it. So when you race towards success, candidly, you don't become a speaker um, who gets to travel the world without really working and striving. You don't author a book that has been translated in as many languages and has done what it's done in the U S without really striving. You don't achieve success in some regards without striving. The, the challenge then is, is how do you remain faithful while striving? So that that's what God has been speaking to me is, is John seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with me. And, and I will show you success to degrees that you can't fathom. So I think if I can be a little bit more faithful in my journey as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a, an author, as a speaker, as a podcast guest to Jason Romano and others, uh, God's going to do things that I can't even fathom, uh, bigger things than I could have imagined for myself. So that I want to say yes to that, yes to that journey. He is John O'Leary, the author of the book On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And I, I can't recommend more and john mentioned it the the video that mlb.com did is posted on their facebook page if you just google it it's on their website as well we're going to share it on our sports spectrum page as well when the podcast comes out and is released to you all it is a snapshot view of his life and it is awesome it's so well done <laughs> and uh personally i was a little jealous because when, when john and i talked i had hoped that espn would have done this story and uh you know it doesn't really matter who did it uh, MLB did it and they did a wonderful job and it's gotten in, like he said, over 3 million views and has really just uh, permeated into the hearts of so many people. So John, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Uh, you were an inspiration to me and to so many others, and I'm grateful to call you friend. Thank you, sir. Romano, I feel the same. Great work. Thanks for the friendship and, and thanks for being a voice of light in darkness. It, it matters. Wow. Thank you so much, John O'Leary, for sharing your story here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. And I'm grateful. I really am because John is the perfect example of perseverance, of faith, of drive, of determination, and of not giving up when it looks like you are about to face the worst 
fears, I guess, that you could face in facing death as a child, a nine-year-old child. So John is changing lives and I'm grateful for him to be a part of the Sports Spectrum podcast. You can always check out his stuff on uh, his website. It is johnoleary.com. You can also check out his new book, On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And that is by John O'Leary. And we thank him for being a part of the Sports Spectrum podcast. All right, before we go, I want to give you guys the winners. I want to announce the winners of the Matthew West CD and the Matthew West book. Hello, my name is... so. We appreciate everyone who left a review on iTunes. I'm going to simply read the iTunes username of the winners. And hopefully if that's you, you can contact me. You can email me, jason at sportspectrum.com, jason at sportspectrum.com. And I will send you a copy of the book or a copy of the CD. And uh, so we appreciate you guys all leaving reviews. The first person that is the winner of the Matthew West book is Upward CC. U-P-W-A-R-D-C-C, Upward C-C. You have won a copy of Matthew West's new book. Please email me, jason at sportspectrum.com, and we'll get that out to you. Our second winner, Indy Brob, I-N-D-Y-B-R-O-B, Indy Brob, or Indy B-Rob, I guess it would be. Indy B-Rob has won a copy of Matthew West's new CD. So, Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for leaving a review on iTunes. If you haven't done that yet, please do leave a review uh, when you have a moment. Go to iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, and just let us know what you think of the podcast. If you like what you've heard, any guests that you might t- you'd like to hear, and uh, that just helps get the word out to as many people as possible about this podcast. And as always, you can reach us on Twitter, Sports underscore Spectrum. We're on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram as well. You can reach us there, follow us there, and you can also reach me, Jason, at sportspectrum.com or on Twitter at Jason Romano. Thanks so much for joining us here on episode 40 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. We'll see you next time.